Fox Sports is the home of Australian rugby, and this is the official Fox Rugby Podcast with your host, Nick McArdle. Yes, thank you, Greg Clark, and welcome once again to the Fox Rugby Podcast as we get towards the the very pointy end of the Super Rugby season. And today we are joined by uh, departing Waratahs forwards coach Simon Cron. Cronny, welcome to you. Say it ain't so. Yes. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll chat all about that and a fair bit more with you uh, a little bit later. And also... uh, Christy Doran from foxsports.com.au. Welcome to Hi you. Hi, Nick. Yeah, good to be here. Good to have you along. Um, we will also catch up with uh, Isaac Lucas from the under-20s who almost got there. It was a, a close thing in Argentina on the weekend, so we'll uh, chat to Isaac about that. And, uh, and Ben Alexander also joining us on the Fox Rugby podcast. You're listening to the Fox Rugby podcast. Ben Alexander, welcome to the Fox Rugby Podcast. It's terrific to have you on board. How are you, mate? Good, mate. Good, Nick. How are you? I'm tremendous. Thanks for asking. Now, uh, what are you up to before we get to uh, your great Brumbies? What are you up to nowadays? You're still looking after your pubs? Yeah, yeah, mate. Just trying to stay fit and, the, uh, yeah, do a little bit down at the dock. So try and do one, one shift a week, just Friday Arvos. But, um, yeah, my life's a very different pace these days, which is nice. Well, that sounds at one shift a week. That sounds pretty, <laughs> that's my that's, that's my sort easy. of gig right there. <laughs> um, oh, um, I, work, I work hard, mate. Work hard when it's at one shift. <laughs> well, whilst we're on the subject of pubs, etc., um, we might have heard from our Fox Sports producer that could have grown up with you a little bit, Phil Pryor, uh, talking about your uh, nickname, the Colonel. Yes, yes, mate. It's very uh, yeah, good story. That one just with a yeah breaking a speed eating record of a chicken burger one late night out in Bathurst. So one of my mates, yeah, the mother clucker. So then I became a Colonel Cluck is sort of how the nickname started. Very good, very good. Hey, um, let's talk. Uh, let's talk about your Brumbies. You must have been stoked with what you've seen this year. Have you you kept a close eye on things? Yeah, no, definitely been watching. So see a lot of similarities with the cars in twenty fourteen. Just how they. Tars dropped a few games early that year, but then they sort of got on a roll, and uh, I can see a lot of similarities. You know, this year with the Brums dropping a few games early, but they're really on a roll at the moment, so it's going to make for a great game this weekend. Well, I, look, I agree, Benny. I think um, you know <clears throat> the way they're playing at the moment. I think their attack this year has been a massive improver, and, and now the both sides of the ball they are pretty, um, pretty strong, pretty strong side. So I reckon against the the Jags, it, it, it might even suit them. The, the way that they're playing. Um, there's definitely, uh, you know, the way the contact zone's been run by the Brumbies at the moment, the forwards are getting up and the, and the close quarter stuff and knocking them over, and I reckon the Jags will will battle with that. Yeah, no, some of the hits the, the forwards especially putting on last week was, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty impressive. So, um, yeah, they're going to need to do it and do it again this weekend in, in, in as a hostile environment as you get, really. So, um, yeah. It's all there to do for the lad. Benny, did you feel like um, that towards the back end of last season, I think it's probably fair to say that uh, the the Brumbies were probably the form side uh, out of the Australian teams and they just hadn't quite done enough early on to, to sneak into the finals. Um, this year kind of built on that. Did you see some things happening last year that suggested that, uh, that this was going to happen, that they were going to get on this role? Could you see the potential there? 
Oh, it's easy to say now in hindsight that I did. <laughs> but, um, yeah, definitely the back half of last year, we sort of we were trying to change, Dan McKellar was trying to change the style. And obviously, Brumby, since sort of that Jake White era, we'd always been a very set-piece orientated sort of control, really trying to control the game sort of style of play. Whereas, yeah, Dan was trying to promote a bit more free-flowing style of game. And there's always a few hiccups along the way when you're trying to implement any change. And so we dropped some games last year that we probably shouldn't have. Um, well, yes, we just just fell short of the finals. But um, no, I think you're really starting to see the benefit now of sort of you know, the hard work the boys did earlier in the year and all the hard work they did last year. And uh, they're getting paid for it now. Benny, you're probably in a good position as uh, the Brumbies. I think you played the most games in Brumbies history to, uh, of the club. So in a good position to talk about the, the, the evolution of, of the side and you've played under a number of different coaches. Is this the, the, the best kind of um, style of play that you've seen the Brumbies play? Because clearly they'd fallen short for a number of years making the finals but never really been able to obviously take the title out since 2004. Yeah, I mean, well, in my time, definitely, like since I started playing. But, I mean, you look back at 01 and 04, especially the style the Brumbies played in 2004 was really sort of game-changing, sort of changed how a lot of, I think, a lot of teams played the game. They sort of that forefront of um, sort of that three-phase attack shape. And, um, and uh, yeah, but I definitely think how they're playing now is just, it's great to watch. I mean, um, it's all good playing razzle-dazzle footy, but if you don't win, uh, doesn't really cut it. But they're playing really good footy and winning. And uh, I think that's why you're starting to see um, fans are slowly starting to come back here in Canberra and... Um, yeah, no, just they need to do it again this weekend. Yeah, Benny, the interesting thing I'm seeing with them, though, is they're able to pick out weaknesses in the defence. Like, even in the weekend, you know, against the Sharks, they're starting to pick out any sort of defensive weaknesses. And, and like you're saying, the patterns of play, they've got an attack now. Um, there's a lot more variation coming from them. So they're using Eroi really well uh, in that midfield. And then they're able to pick out edges or pick out weaknesses on inside balls. So... You know, from a defensive point of view, you've now got to cover them a lot better across the park. Whereas, probably in the last two, three years, they've been more of a, a punch a hole in your team. You know, they come straight at you, and that's not so hard to defend. So, you know, I think they've got a lot smarter in the way that they're attacking, and, and they'll have a few tricks up their book, up their sleeve for the um, for the Jags this week. Yeah, absolutely. And we sort of there was a trend starting to form, you know, a few years back. With like you said, we sort of. We try and bludgeon our way through defences, um, and sides would start to catch on. They'd do the homework, and Brams would we'd come out of the blocks really well at the start of the season. And by about round five or six, sides had started to figure us out, and we started dropping games. Whereas now, especially with Christian pulling the strings, they're uh, they're just looking for any chink in the um, chink in the defence. So you, obviously, you do your prep during the week, and you think, oh, where do we think we can get the opposition? Uh, where do we think we can find holes in their defence? And some games, they, they might have sorted that. You know, they might have blocked that hole, but then you've got to find another hole. And I think uh, Christian and Joey Powell there, and the chat they're getting from probably Tommy Banks at the back, looking for those gaps, I think, uh, is a big part of why their attack's flowing so well. What about up front um, and guys that you know so well in Alan Alalatar and Scott Seo and, of course, James Slipper having come down uh, from the Reds this year? It's a formidable uh, combination. They've got those, those three props. Falau Fanger as well, uh, obviously playing playing so well this year. But talk to me about Alan Alalatoa first up. I think he's forced the most scrum penalties of any um, of any prop in the competition. 
Um, what have you made of his progress and, and do you feel like he's just taken it up another level this year? Yeah, he's, I think anyone, I mean, Alan's a lot younger than me, but you ask anyone that sort of uh, saw him at schoolboy level and I think he was like, I mean, maybe 19 when he came to the Brumbies and you just knew he was just the biggest lump of a lad you'd ever seen and, he's, and the whole time he's had the right mentality, like he trains hard. And now I think with a lot of the, the young Polynesian boys, they, they doubt their ability a little bit and once they start bashing people, on the field, so <laughs> they, um, yeah, they start to come into their own, and they really start physically uh, imposing themselves on games. And I really think this year you've seen it with Alan. He was playing really well last year, but now he's just stepping out on the field, and he knows what he's capable of, and he's just, he's, in, in, uh, what's, it, not, what's the word? Just sort of enforcing his will onto the game, and especially at scrum time. He's just, yeah, sort of realizes how big and strong he is, and he's starting to use it. Uh, Benny, you mentioned uh, Christian pulling the strings, isn't he? What? Um, he's catching up to your record. I don't know if you'll quite get there, but can you describe just how important he's been to the club and, and maybe some of your fondest memories uh, of him before potentially his final game? Let's hope it's not, but potentially it is. I know he's been the heart and soul of the place since, since well, I mean, Dougie and I were in the academy together, what, 2005, 2006, and um, yeah, he's just the most loving, caring guy I think I've ever played footy with and that just flows throughout the team and um, really sort of, he just, yeah, he represents what everything the Brumbies is about uh, and just the story they're writing at the moment on the back of, obviously, his great news being in remission with leukaemia and, and being able to come back and play footy. Uh, it's just a very, very special story and, and let's hope there's still another two chapters to write to share. Hey, Benny, do you remember the night, um, I think it... I'm trying to think back. Was it 2012 that he broke his ankle um, down in Canberra and, and the whole team, he was on a stretcher in the medical room and after the game the whole team was in there standing around him um, singing the club song. Do you remember that night? Yeah, yeah, beat the Tars that, that game. It was a good night. As any, uh, <laughs> it's one of yeah, everyone's favourite sort of games of the Bundy's player and fans obviously being the Tars. But um, he'd been the best like back, or just about the, I think he was leading all the comp that year in um, like the player of the year points, and he was looking there to make his Wallabies debut, and um, and then obviously yeah, to, we we were leading the Aussie conference I think for most of that year, and then when he broke his leg, um, just yeah, to see a guy that was doing so well playing the best foot of his career to, to yeah, be cut down by an injury, um, it was devastating not for him and. But, it, yeah, it's just it's hardened his resilience and then he had an even bigger challenge with the leukaemia and he's just beaten that too. So um, as far as, like, favourite memories, I'll always owe him. He kicked the match winner in my 50th Brumbies game against the Cheetahs and then he also kicked the match winner against the Lions in the second test, which was my 50th test. So wow. I'll always uh, owe him a few beers for those two, making those two games well, memorable for me. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> when we do our review on on the Brumbies, he's a massive part of their game, and and as you mentioned, he's he's their game manager, he's their coach on the field. He pulls a lot of the strings. I mean, even just a small detail around your wide ruck arrivals, he'll be the first one fighting to get there, and he comes on on a pretty hard angle. So, you know, he's a really smart footy player, and, and like you mentioned, uh, there, Benny, I reckon you can see culturally that they've taken a massive step up uh, since he's come back. I think he's a huge part of developing that, and. You can see they're a tight-knit unit, and I think that goes a long way towards, you know, their ability to win games. 
Yeah, and that's something you as an opposition coach can't do analysis on when you can't play the bums. You can't you can see what they do on the field but you can't analyse stuff they're doing away from from the field and I think we all know how important culture is to any high performance environment and uh he absolutely well and truly leads the way in that. Um, Benny, just uh, one on, on uh, the Jaguaros and, and um, before starting the podcast, we were having a bit of a, a chat with Simon about um, how similar they are, the, the two sides, the Brumbies and the, and the Jags. Um, but what do you make of the two packs lining up against each other? And I'll get Simon on this in a moment as well. But what, what's your gut feel about how the two packs square off? Oh, I think, yeah, our type five's um, best in the business. I think it's a bit of a blow having Sam, uh, Pete Samuel and Poe injured because I think when uh, 2013, when we had to play that preliminary final at Loftus, we managed to beat the Bulls to get into the grand final. Uh, George Smith, that was probably the best half of footy I think I just about ever saw him play to get, got a few massive steals like right towards the key end of the game which sort of uh, stopped the Bulls' momentum and didn't give away any penalties while he was doing it. And I think everyone knows, I mean, if you watched last week, the Chiefs gave away discipline wasn't um, wasn't where it needed to be. And then finals footy penalties are just about everything. So um, that the Brums back row's really got to step up, and a few of those guys are probably going to have to have the game of their lives. Um, and then they're in with a chance, but I think they're in a great position to do that. Yeah, Lockie McCaffrey's been playing awesome. Tommy Cusack's been awesome. That Jerome Brown's been having a great season. Uh, Bobby Valentini's doing well since he's come back from injury. So one of those, one or two, or all of those guys need to have a massive, massive, massive game. Uh, I think for the boys to win, but I think they can do it. So what about the the two packs uh, against each other? And you know, you, you make the the point about um, traditionally South America or Argentina's. Uh, you know, forward packs have been outstanding. Is this one, though, as good as the Brumbies? No, I think the Brumbies have, have got the upper hand when it comes to, to the tight five. I think uh, the Jags tied here, we were able to pin him back on his outside leg, so he, he got pinned quite a bit. But the way they got away with it, they got a really fast hook. So the hook and a halfback have a good connection. They'll get the ball out fast. It's just whether um, the Brumbies hit and chase a little bit early to see if they can pin that hooker or, or, or pincer him. But also, I think the Brumbies will hold the ball on their feet. So I'd expect the Brumbies to scrum long. They do all year. Like I think 30, coming into our game, I think 32 of the penalties were on their own feet, only two on opposition. So what they're doing is hooking the ball to the back and then just sitting there. And I think what you'll find is that I, I think the Hagueras front row will last three, four, maybe five seconds. But like you mentioned, Benny, Alan Alatoa, he is splitting blockers. He's, he'll go straight at their loose head and then he'll go and split them. He's hard. And, and then on the other side of the coin, you've got Slippo and CO both uh, amazing, and they'll also try to tag team the other tight heads. So I think that the Brumbies will, will put an enormous amount of pressure at scrum time, and I also reckon with the height they've got, you can put a lot of pressure on the line-out too. Um, and once you start to put pressure on the line-out, the, the Jags go to their bat plan B, which is four-man line-out. So we push in the four-man line-outs in our game, and that's when they've got some success. But I reckon it'll be even harder against the Brumbies. Mm. It'll be uh, very interesting to see how it, how it plays out. Benny, um, lucky that one shift that you do each week uh, <laughs> isn't on Saturday morning. It means you'll be able to get up um, with the family and, and sit down and, and watch your Brumbies hopefully get over the, the Jaguares. Yeah, definitely. We're opening for breakfast. So, uh, <laughs> we're, just about, we're just about booked out already early in the week. So, um, yeah, no, it's going to be awesome. Oh, that's fantastic. Mate, <laughs> terrific to catch up. Always uh, enjoy having a chat. And uh, and may your men go well on Saturday morning. Cheers, guys. Thanks for having me. 
listening to the Fox Rugby Podcast. Yeah, good to catch up always with uh, with that man, Ben Alexander, and uh, we thank him for his time. So we've talked about the line-out and, uh, and and the scrum. Where else are the big battlegrounds uh, come Saturday morning? Uh, look, for me, I think he made a relevant point about on-ballers. I think their loose forwards are going to have to put some pressure on the ball. The hug leave daylight at the breakdown, so there's often times, because of the way that they play, there's often times where they'll get a ball carrier and no cleaner. Um, so for me, the loose forwards from the Brumbies need to be able to get those turnovers. So there needs to be pressure on that breakdown. Um, the other thing for me is I reckon the Hug Warriors, are, they play quite a compressed defence. So if you can get to an edge, you'll often find they've got, they're low on numbers. So we had two or three opportunities in our game where we probably didn't execute well enough on two-on-ones or three-on-two opportunities. And I think that um, you'll see the Brumbies hit the middle and then start to look to, to get wide and find them where they are lighter. You know, go from thick to thin, mm. and I think they are thin on those on those wide channels. It's extraordinary to think how well the Brumbies have gone without pretty much David Pocock the entire year. Yeah, um, and now Pete Sama, who was incredible against the Sharks, scoring a couple of tries, but just his all round presence, he can cover any position in that back row. So, well, I, I, in terms of the the Pocock um, absence, I, I think they've had a, a bonus in Jerome Brown. I don't imagine that you know he came in to fill a hole. I'm not sure that they ever imagined that he would be the player that he's turned out to be. So that's that's been a big tick. But, um, Cronick, just in terms of the selection of that back row mm. um, and, and a little bit of Nostradamus here. So last week Dan went with um, with Samu, Cusack and, and Valentini and he had Brown and McCaffrey on the bench. Now you take Samu out of that mix now. What's your starting back row against uh, against the Haguaris? For me, I bring McCaffrey in. Right. And, and the reason for that, I think he's an ex- extremely experienced player. He's a big game player. He, he's he's good in their line out. He's really good with all their systems. And for me, you've got Rob Valentini can can you know fold a line. Yep. He, he can get game line for you. Um, and then a massive impact with Brown coming off the bench. That'd be my approach. Um, going into that game. Mm. Uh, Samu was surprisingly left out of that last Wallabies um, training camp up up in Brisbane. Um, knowing that he's won two titles with the Crusaders, he's extraordinarily in, in, in the contention for a third one uh, if, if they do and make the, the final and he's fit. But what's your thoughts on Samu and, and what kind of role could he play for the Wallabies going forward this year? Oh, look, I think he he's... he's Brilliant both sides of the ball. He's a really good ball carrier. He's fast. He's explosive. He puts a lot of pressure on your breakdown, but also he can hit. So for me, I think he adds a lot to a squad. It purely depends on Cheek and what he's wanting to do around the makeup of his whole pack. Um, but I think he'd be a really good addition. Mm, I've, I've found it all year. I've found it really difficult to get a gauge on what it has meant when some players haven't gone to those camps and some players have. And, and then you look at some of the players who have gone and you think, well, they're probably not going to make no. the Wallaby squad. So... I don't know how much to read into all of that. Have you got a thought on that? Well, I agree with you. I think it's purely – I think they'll have a plan as to where they where they think their final squad looks and there'll be opportunities for them during these camps to upskill as many as they can. Let's face it, reality of it is, in a World Cup, you need to coach three to four deep. Mm. You, you know, you look back at Beaver coming in for the All Blacks, he's their fourth deep first five. So these camps are an opportunity for you to give some depth and make sure everybody knows your systems and structures because ultimately going into a final or semi-final, you might have to pull somebody – from over from Australia over to the World mm. Cup, and they need to know what they're doing. So, like what you mentioned, it very much relies on making sure you're coaching three to four deep in each position, and then 
picking his squad to go. Stephen Donald just made sure New Zealand rugby's got his phone number just just <laughs> in case, <laughs> like I'm, when I'm, he's off white bait fishing, just in case. I'm pretty sure he's thrown a few uh, drop kicks over. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so how do you see it playing out? I'm interested to to get your thoughts, both of you. Um, you know, you take into account. The travel, a uh, couple of couple of injuries, um, the need to have discipline over there, that they put the crowd into it. How's it going to play out? Well, the Brumbies historically have done pretty well over in Argentina. They lost, I think it was 20 points to 15 earlier in the year, but that was off the back of a heroic effort against the Stormers where they defended and defended mm. and defended pretty much like that entire second half against the Sharks on the weekend. Um, when they got up against the Stormers, uh, they won the year before there. I think Tom Banks might have even been on the wing at that point in time and, and scored a couple of tries. So I, I can see the, the Brumbies not just pushing them. I, I, I genuinely think that... They probably won't go in favourites because we all know how much of a home crowd advantage that is come the preliminaries. But I, I reckon the Brumbies will get up. Yeah, for me, for me, I put them as favourites. I mean, mm. looking, at, I look at the squad and I look at the tight forwards and I look at the opportunities they've got in the back line around Christian Lilifano leading it. You got, like I said, I think Uri's playing really well and and, and dominating the midfield. Kendrani, I think there's a huge amount of attacking weapons. But the good thing about it is they're playing as a team at the moment. There's not individual an individual attacking weapon. Everything's mo- – they're moving their chess pieces to create opportunities for each other. And from what I can see, um, Peter's organising it in their attack so that they're really clear on where they're going in those first three to four phases. And as a result of that, that's why all of a sudden – these tries don't happen accidentally. Those tries in the weekend were designed to move the defence and open up those holes. And I think they'll go on with a similar plan against the Hugwaras. Uh, Iray Simone, you have had a lot to do with his development and uh, at, at Norths previously before being picked up by the Waratahs and then didn't quite fulfil his potential and, and ends up at the Brumbies. Um, what, what are your thoughts about Iray and, and his development uh, this year, particularly with the Brumbies? I think he's outstanding. I mean, for me, um, when I first started coaching him, the He's different to so many players I've seen. As a second five, he's big. He's got strong. He's got a strong glutes, so he's hard in contact. He will beat you within a foot. So meaning he can catch the ball, be a foot away from you, and beat you with his feet. So he's not just a crashing mm. hard nosed twelve. He's got footwork and ball skills. So it gives them that ability to have a second ball player, but it also gives somebody who will, you know, take two or three guys to get him down just because of his footwork. So for me. Um, I've always thought he's an outstanding player. And, and I think he's a huge loss to us at the Waratahs going to the Brumbies, but it's awesome for him because what's happened, he's gone down there with his partner, Ella, and, and they've only got better and better. And, and the feedback to me calls a lot. And, and he's loving it down there. He's mm. loving the culture. And obviously people like Christian and, and these guys who are mentoring him, he can only, he can only get better. It brings you to a wider picture, <coughs> though, about the Waratahs' uh, management and so forth. So why, why didn't he work at, at New South Wales? Yeah, I mean, look, I think it comes down to a number of things. It can be people in that position at the time and, and the opportunity that exists there. Obviously, with um, you know, he was there. When I came in, um, Bielo was there. Mm. So, so you know, and, and I think Eri, I had words to him after training sometimes because sometimes I'd say to him, mate, I think you're holding back a little bit here and giving a little bit too much respect to the opposition player in our, even our training runs. Mm. And he's like, oh, Chrono, but if I beat them and I run too fast. And I'm like, mate, no. You know, so, so it's about getting the best out of him. And I think... Um, he's a kid who, who responds really well to coaching and it's really important that you're constantly working with him on his skill set and making sure it's really clear around what you want him to do. And from what I can see down at the Brumbies at the moment, that's what's happening. Well, since 1996, uh, the history is littered with a lot of players who have gone out of the Brumbies and thrived 
in that culture. So that's uh, one of the big ticks for what's happening in Canberra at the moment. We will get to more of uh, the Waratahs in just a moment, but while we're on Super Rugby semis, the other one, the Hurricanes and the Crusaders in Christchurch on Saturday evening, 5.30 our time, um, can the Hurricanes win that? They, they are a team who can win any game. That's my thought process, meaning they can attack you from anywhere. They've got good transition speeds. There's a reason why, and I remember talking to Crusaders coaches halfway through the year, they were like, geez, bloody Hurricanes keep winning. You know, they have the ability to win any game. The difference is the consistency of the Crusaders and the fact that the Crusaders will melt you for 83 minutes and they won't let anything easy in. So... I think for the Hurricanes to get across the line, they'd have to be, you know, a drop ball when they scoop it and they'll go or, or something that breaks down. So if you can... Something unstructured. Uh, something unstructured. Yep. If you can force the Crusaders out of their systems by doing something that they're not used to, that's your best chance of beating them. If you stay in system with them and you let them stick to their systems around their attack and defence, you're going to be in for an 82 minutes where they'll just start to, to grind away and you, and you won't win. It's interesting to note that, and I thought, I've just checked it, but the Hurricanes won more games than any other team mm. in the comp this year. They won 12, and the Crusaders and the, and the Jags each won A couple 11, of draws so, in there. Yeah, that's right. But they can win a game of rugby. Yeah, yeah, certainly. So it begs the question, um, who's going to win then at Christchurch? Well, for me, it's hard. My cousin's at the Hurricanes. I'd, <laughs> lo- I'd love him to do a job. But uh, I th- for me, I think the, the Crusaders across the park, um, including their reserves and their bench, that they've got a lot more depth. They've got the depth. And, and, and their forward pack, their top oh, five, mm. like they did a serious number on, on the Bulls on the weekend. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, 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 the thing for me with the Crusaders, that they're a, they're a big game team. So I thought the, the Hurricanes and Bulls, I thought it was outstanding, but I think the, the Crusaders, like the Highlanders, were a, great, a really good side. Let's not underestimate where they are at the moment. Mm. They've got some powerhouses in their team too. And it was a close game. You know, mm. first 40 minutes. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, like I said, the Crusaders will never stop. They won't stop coming and they will never, ever give you anything easy. So, you, you know, I think hopefully the Hurricanes go on with a game plan to try and knock the Crusaders out of their systems. Yeah, yeah it was a bit of a shame to lose uh, Squire to that yellow card. You mm. always knew yeah, that, that the Crusaders was... were going to... The Crusaders, come. the Crusaders type five. So I think it was the first time this year that they had their all-black front row together. And then, of course, you, you've got your, your Scott Barrett and Sam Whitelock in the second row. So, Handy. Yeah, it's not bad at all, is it? So, all right, we'll, uh, we'll give that one to the Crusaders. Now, let's, uh, let's talk a bit about the Tars. And, Simon, it's, it's been an incredible week because um, the resignation of, uh, of Daryl Gibson uh, with one year left on his contract and, and of course, the, the much-publicised move by you to Japan, although it hasn't been confirmed by the club in Japan at this stage. Um, in terms of sliding doors... Seems that the timing just wasn't quite right. Do you have uh, regrets about what's gone on in the last six months or so, and and the missed opportunity that's uh, that's passed you by? Oh, look for me, it, you know, you're, you've summed it up. It's a timing thing, and you can only make decisions on what's in front of you. So, um, you know, <clears throat> we had uh, uh, Gibbo extended at the end of last year, and and um, you know, at the time I, I mentioned to the Waratahs, oh, look, this. It was the end of my contract coming um, into this year, so it would be likely that at the end of this year um, that it would be the end uh, for the Waratahs. And at the same time, an opportunity arose overseas, which is uh, probably quite a unique one. Um, I, th- I think, for me, I, I probably held off the overseas opportunity for five months until they got to the stage where they're like, you've got to make a decision here, champ. You, like, you, you. <laughs> I think I was probably the 
holding them arm's length for as long as I could. And at, at that stage, it was just probably timing. Like, I, obviously, with um, Gibbo standing on as head coach and, and, and the way that was looking, there's, for me, probably at the moment, there's no point in having two head coaches. And also, Gibbo and I are quite different coaching-wise, and, and I'm not saying one's better or worse. So I just think we, we're, we're quite different. I'm probably quite black and white and quite hard-nosed, and, and Gibbo's uh, not as hard-nosed as I am. And, 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 and um, so... But yeah, timing-wise, unfortunately, it couldn't work. Disappointing because for me, you know, disappointing individually for me because I love I love the Waratahs and I loved the last two years and I've loved um, coaching those players, everything about them for me. Um, they've done everything I've ever asked of them uh, and there's a lot of things in the background, you know, where uh, injuries or, or, or we lacked a little bit of depth in key areas. These guys constantly went to town. They went to work every week, week for us and... and um, you know, I will stay in contact with a lot of them. There's, there's, a, there's like a, um, not a grey area, but a, a, a foggy area in there, and and that you marry that up with um, Daryl in his media conference saying that you know he'd been thinking about this for some time, and and you know potentially months ago, and you came to the decision months ago. So an outsider can only assume that there was a distinct lack of dialogue between the two of you is is that the case oh uh, look I always we all, Gibbon and I always we always talk like there's between Gibbon and I there's never any hard feelings I, I'm pretty like I like to get in your face I suppose and, and sit down with you and tell you you know so and and Gibbo's um good that he his ego I can I can have a crack and he doesn't get offended most of the time you know most of the time I'm most of the time I'm okay but, <laughs> uh so so you know I, I told Gibbo um <laughs> I involved Daryl in, in, in all the communication around what the opportunities were and, and I also walked him through um, the reason at the time why I was making the decision. And, and he was really good. He's like, mate, I'd love you to stay. I see as a head coach. Yeah, and he was really positive. So, And, and for that, I was grateful. But at the time where I made the decision, no, it, it wasn't clear to me that, that um, Gibbo was, was thinking about leaving. And in the discussion we had last week, I think it was probably the last three weeks he mentioned that he was starting to talk about that. Um, and it wasn't in, until obviously the week it was announced that, that, that we really knew about it. Is, is this the end that Australian rugby will, will see you coaching? Oh, no. No, I hope not. Like, like I love um, – I've been here 14 years. So um, – so you're not you're not thinking about ultimately transitioning back to the place that you picked up your accent. Well, funny enough, <laughs> if, you, if you talk to Kiwis, I've got an Australian accent, so I, I seem to lose both sides of the ditch. I get fed either way. So no, but it's a, it's a serious question though. Yeah, you yeah. Know, are we going to see you back in New Zealand rugby, or are we going to see you back in Australian rugby? Well, for me, I think the next two years will be will be big around um, developing and 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 um, looking at you know where. It, it ends up and it can be a timing thing. Um, I've talked to a lot of boys and I'd love to coach a number of them still. I, I'm not finished. There's guys in that squad I, I, I would like to keep coaching. And that's probably the, the hardest thing is walking away from guys you've started to develop over the last couple of years. And and, and those boys, I have a lot of uh, idiosyncrasies around the way I communicate on field and those boys are asking me how I'm going to translate that into Japanese because it just won't work. <laughs> Most of it inappropriate. Um so for me, uh, you know, Ned Hannigan said the other day, you know, I'd love to, Simo said, Chrono, when you leave, email on 24-7 and watch every Waratahs game. So, and I said, mate, always. So I, th- I think um, as a coach, you never stop coaching the guys you started coaching. There's guys from 2013 that still call me, you know, um, that I've coached. So you're always coaching those guys. So long story short, there's a high chance that I'll come back and coach those boys again. Mm. Is there is there a feeling of 
of bad blood or or is that not the case and 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 in a couple of years time because i'm i'm sure like we're, we're here we you've, you've said beforehand that your cousins at the hurricanes your uncle micron's about to finish up a long decadent career at, at uh with the all blacks rugby so there would be a strong pull to, to take you back to, to new zealand yeah yeah there there is i mean there's a pull 18 months ago there's a pull two and a half years ago um, to go back there. Uh, so there's always going to be a, 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 a opportunities, hopefully, that open up over there. And, and, and for that, uh, you know, I'd be privileged to be able to coach um, some of the teams over there. However, there's a couple of guys I'm coaching here that I'm going to make into coaches when, I fin- when they finish playing. <laughs> so Kobe Kev, who knows that he's, he's going to be coming in and, and lining up as a forge coach. Rob Simmons will be lining up. So there'll be a number of guys I'll keep working with um, for the rest of their lives, ideally. Probably scares them a bit, but uh, <laughs> I'll help them through it. Um, so yeah, I, I won't. I won't stop. Now, you're not, uh, and, I, and I don't expect you to uh, in answering this question. Bag anyone, but um, Gibbo said at the media conference the other day. Basically, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically looked at the list and thought this is a three year job, and and he wasn't up for that three years. Um, and and the right person who gets that job needs to be up for that three year. Let's call it a rebuild. But how did it get to that? How, how did the list get to the point where the coach looks at it and goes, I, I, can't, I can't deal with this anymore? Well, yeah, I, I mean, I didn't see the interview, so I'm not sure, you know, what, what, what words are used around the, the squad list. I think as a head coach, if I'm coming in, let's say I'm walking into Waratahs and, and, and I would want to be taken over that list two, two and a half months ago. Um, I'd want to be starting to plan the the holes so you know we, we were pretty clear in the area and what our squad list looks like and and maybe where we need to make sure we're getting players in um s- some key positions there that are really important i mean even over the last two years this year sakobi kibbe played the most minutes mm. as a tidy prop in super rugby he's 33 now the guy is a god mm. um but that's probably a little bit unfair on him you know when you're playing him 65 70 minutes uh, that's a huge ask so you know in doing that that can impact on your results because in the last 10, 15 minutes, Chris Talico did a great job. He was out of club rugby as a medical cover. Um, but even for him, that's a tough ask. So I think as a squad list, you really wanted to be working on that over the last couple of months. And I think now they need to move relatively fast because if I'm coming into that team, I think there's a an amount, a level of respect that you owe the current player group who are in that squad list to make sure you give them the best chance to succeed. You know, and, and that comes down to some really key positions like tight head, like first five, and making sure you've got, you know, the quality of player that you need to win games. Even after, uh, even though you look at the list of the last couple of years, it was pretty clear and obvious to a lot of people that the tight five and the forward pack needed a little bit of stiffening up. So why wasn't the Waratahs able to attract uh, the, the right person to, to fill those roles? Oh, look, I think... First and foremost, as a as a uh, head coach, you've got to work out what type of rugby you want to play. Mm. So we talked a lot today about the Brumbies, and the Brumbies have always been a dominant type five. The way they've recruited, the way they've uh, got depth in those positions, they're, they've always attacked your tight. Now, Waratahs have the ability to play with width. So the boys this year, like if you look at our forward pack, we, we definitely lacked a little bit of depth in key positions, and that's not saying the guys that, that were there weren't good. They were outstanding. But just being able to rotate guys like this and see coaches did a great job because we had no injuries. Damien Fitzpatrick played every 
every game. Mm. So that's not your ideal scenario. You want to be able to rotate with a bit of depth and have and have that depth to be able to come on the last 20 minutes and mm. do the job. But in saying that, I mean, you compare the Crusaders to the Waratahs. Crusaders uh, line out uh, in terms of attacking line outs, four or five, three, four percent behind us. Uh, defensive line out, Waratahs, and this is the thing you don't sometimes we ignore. Waratahs defensive line out, those boys are probably, I think they're one or two in the comp. They were second last year, I think they're first this year. Scrum time, only 0.7% behind the Crusaders. So those boys did a job. However, we just need probably to add two or three players in behind them so that in those last 20 minutes, you, you can really start to pile people in. And if you have injuries or you have a banning mm. Mm. or you have... Have a rest. <laughs> you can have a rest. Like like near well, the end, Fitzy well, there. Brum, Brumby's a perfect example of that. You know, when you, like Scotty Co. the amount of games Scotty Co's played this year where he's actually only played... 35 or 40 minutes. You, know, you talk about player management and, and Wallaby management. Perfect example. That's a perfect example. And, and you look at that game against the Brumbies. So you've got Sakobi Kepu at our tight head. You've got James Slipper. And then he goes off. CO comes on. Mm. You know, there's no rest there. There's no <laughs> – they're going to keep coming. Mm. And, and, that's, and that's outstanding what they've done there. And, and, and Slipper, I think, is one of the best props around. Mm. So um, – but at the same time, you've got to look at what type of rugby you want to play. But I think depth is really key, and in, in, especially in key positions. And in a recruiting sense, you know, if you, if you're a player, and you you know you've you've done this at, at all sorts of levels, if you're a player um, being enticed to the Waratahs, uh, the first thing that you're going to ask, or well, there's two things probably, how much and who's the coach. So that process needs to be expedited, surely, to to help get quality players. They need to know who they're going to play for, don't well, they? Well, they need to know who the coach is purely because each coach has a different type of rugby. You know, like, for example, you see some of the South African coaches, they're very much punch holes in you. That's not the way that a lot of our boys will want to play. Um, you know, I look at 2017 attack. You had Michael Wells trying to punch holes and big forwards running off nine. You look at 2018 attack and he's running down edges two on ones. So, and, and he gets forward of the year. So for me, I think you're 100% right. As a player coming into an environment, I want to know who my head coach is. But also you've got a number of guys sitting there at the moment who will want to know who their head coach is. And I think... You know, in the best interest of those guys, I hope they go through a really good process. But I also, I really want them to get the right person so that those boys, you know, get the most out of their coach and they develop as players and they're successful. Hmm. Well, just on that, um, who is the best man? If I had to say, give us a name, who's it going to be? Oh, look, for me, I think one of the best coaches I've seen or talked to in terms of rugby brains is Scotty Wisemantle. And I know his name's popped up. It's just whether. He's in a position with his family and his current role to be uh, available, but um, he is definitely a guy who I'd be trying to get back in Australian rugby. So, what are, what are the skills? What what's his skill set that suits that job? He has an an excellent rugby brain. So, when you talk to him about attacking patterns, defensive patterns, he knows exactly what he's trying to do and why. So, he's really clear and precise. He's innovative meaning that he will pick out a weakness and target it. Um, he's willing to try new things all the time. So he's always thinking. Um, and you can see, like I've sat with him a couple of times, even on flights where you're just passing across each other at different parts of the world, and, and, and he is constantly thinking rugby. And um, for me, that's a lost rugby brain for Australian rugby. If we can get him back uh, in, in whatever capacity, I mean, obviously he catches the Waratahs as one opportunity or... Wallabies, um, he would be definitely one I'd go after. Well, it's certainly uh, one of the names that keeps being mentioned in relation to the Waratahs job. He's with Eddie Jones as an assistant in England at the moment, but uh, potentially Scott Wisemattle to the Waratahs. We'll see what happens there. Let's uh, get a chat with the next generation of Australian rugby, Isaac Lucas. You're listening to the Fox Rugby Podcast.
Isaac, thanks for joining us. Is it nice to be home, mate? Yeah, very nice to be home. Um, I think after five weeks abroad, it's always good to come home and a bit tired at the moment, but uh, no, very good to be home. Have you had time to reflect on uh, what you guys managed to achieve? It wasn't quite everything you dreamed of, but bloody hell, it was close. Yeah, obviously, the result in the end um, wasn't the one we wanted. Obviously, we wanted to take out the uh, World Cup final and we didn't. So, but, However, there's a lot of positives to take out of it and, um, yeah. Isaac, looking at the, coming into the tournament, it had been such a long time since uh, the Junior Wallabies or the 20 side had reached a final. Um, would have you taken it at the start of the, the tournament, just knowing that you, you've reached the final? Um, obviously, yeah, it was a, it was a good result to get in the final, but sort of a, in the in the lead ups in January, the sort of the camps leading up to it, the goal was to not only be in the final but to take it out um, and obviously we didn't we didn't do it but um, as I said there's a lot of positives that we can take out of the tournament going forward Isaac a um, couple of boys there mate who st- obviously the whole squad stood out over there and, and the type of rugby you're playing was, was fast rack speed and, and, and it was really impressive to watch and I know we trained against you earlier in the year a couple of those boys that stood out for you I mean it's hard to name individuals but Samisi Tupu what did you think um, around his tournament yeah, Samisi was great. Um, obviously, we had a, had a great forward pack that laid a, a great foundation for us. And I think Samisi as well gave us good punch through the middle. Yeah. And obviously, on the edges, he was great for us as well. So, no, he was, he was great for us. And obviously, you kept and lived from the front from what I saw. On ball, a lot of pressure, hard in contact. Yeah, um, was an absolute pest at the breakdown all tournament. Yeah, um, I, I think his obviously his stats sort of speak speak about speak volumes about it. He sort of had three, two to three turnovers each game, um, and then even his even his carrot ball carries were um, good. So no, he was immense. And, and you seem to get involved really well. So you came into the line and had really good cohesiveness with Will Harrison and, and the other guys in that back line. Um, you made a lot of line breaks. Did you? Going into each game, was there a strategy around breaking down the opposition defence? Because um, it seemed to me like you boys had some really good attacking patterns. Yeah. Well, as I, as I mentioned previously, going off the the foundation that our forwards, they really dominated the middle. So it really allowed us backs to chime in on the edges and, and, and explore that sort of space on the edges. Um, so, yeah. Isaac, um, I don't know whether you've got a – I mean, when you're in the middle of it and, and you know, you're dreaming of uh, – of you know a super rugby career which you've already had a taste of um of course but um there's a bit of chat around here from from a few saying let's not rush these guys you you know you and your under 20 teammates let's not um you know recognize the success by throwing them straight into super rugby they're just kids do you ever thought about that you know about how soon um you know you and your and your more so the teammates who haven't had a taste yet of, of Super Rugby should be thrown into it? Yeah, I think it's important, obviously, Gilly said, to not to not rush us. Um, I think it's, that holds, yeah, it's pretty important. Like, obviously, we've got to, we've got to earn our stripes through through club footy and and, 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 the, and under 20 footy. So um, I, th- I think if we earn our stripes there and play some good footy, then, then we start getting some recognition into Super Rugby and, and sort of just ease us in sort of thing. Um, I think that's important not to just throw, throw us players into, into the sort of deep end and sort of expect things. I think we've got to, through hard work, earn it and then sort of let it take take it 
for itself, yep. if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm interested to get um, Simon's view on this as well because, you know, I mean, Isaac, you've had a taste of it. Um, you, you're still only slight uh, and, and I'm sure at times it's been quite a challenge physically. Cronie, do you have a, a thought on all of that? Yeah, look, I think Isaac's in the position he's in slightly different. I mean, the the Lucas boys all have hearts like Farlap. I obviously coach Matty and he's a legend. Um, but for me, I think, I think you've hit the nail on the head. The mistake mm. we make here is do not think these guys are the saviour next year, year after. Mm. Especially in the forwards. You know, yep. th- there's a massive difference between man and boy in forwards. Mm. And and when you go into, you know, your, your, your props, your locks, your eights, there's an enormous difference between a 26-year-old male and a 19, 20-year-old male. And the last thing we want to do is line them up for failure. So I think there has to be a really clear plan around their progression. Look, if someone's good enough, they're good enough. But a lot of the time I believe that the forwards especially, they develop slightly later. And if we throw them in too early, they're not successful. And then we start to – and we say, oh, why wasn't he successful? Well, because we haven't given the guy a chance to develop. And like what Isaac said, I believe the placement to develop is through their club rugby, mm. where they start to play men. Um, you know, these 19, 20-year-olds come back from the World Cup, all of a sudden they're against 26, 27, 30-year-old tied here. And that's where you really start to learn your trades so that when you end up in Super Rugby, you know, you don't get a horrible, horrible experience. I, th- I think there's a responsibility on, on all of us, and particularly those of us in the media, um, to to not be impatient about all of this stuff. I mean, I often liken it to Australian tennis where th- th- there can be a kid who makes it through to the third round of a Grand Slam and all of a sudden... He's the next Pat Rafter. He's written up as the next Pat Rafter or the next Leighton Hewitt. And, and we are so desperate, given our heritage in, in tennis, that we want this next big success. And it's the same with rugby. We're, we're so impatient for this next big superstar. And there's just a danger that we see these guys having done so well. We, we dive on it and put them on a pedestal. Isaac, in light of that, but do you think, given that you've had a taste of super rugby, that it, it stood you in good stead for this 20s tournament? Yeah, definitely. And I think um, the way um, the Reds have managed me this year, they haven't, they sort of, they've, I've got a few touches off the bench, sort of 10 to 15 minutes. Um, and then I got my start. I, they sort of eased me in, if, if, if you will. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but it definitely put me in good stead coming into the, into the 20s and I really enjoyed my time back into the 20s as well. And there was a lot of conjecture throughout the Super Rugby season when you weren't allowed to play for the Reds at one point in time because of the 20s. So how are you in that place and and were you um, did you like the fact that you know the 20s was the priority for you at that stage? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think representing your country shouldn't be taken lightly and I, I thoroughly enjoyed my time playing for the 20s and um it's a very proud moment. So um, I didn't see it as such a getting taken out. Obviously, Super Rugby is is the pinnacle and that's what I want to be playing long term. But, um, yeah, I didn't see is that as a negative getting taken out. I, I loved every bit of it. I think I agree with you, Isaac. I think the, the priority needs to be 20s. I know in New Zealand their policy is that the second most important team in the country is the New Zealand on the 20s. So, and um, the most powerful person in New Zealand behind Steve Hansen is the under-20s coach during about a three-month block. Jeez, I thought then for a moment you were going to say the Prime Minister, but no, really no. not. <laughs> <laughs> She's also very important. But, um, uh, but for me, um, they've got some really strict rules around Ford's not being able to play Super Rugby under the age of 20. So, that, so there's a whole lot of stuff in place there. And I believe, Isaac, that 
as an under-20s program, I was involved in 2017, the improvements yep. I've made on it being a more high-performance programs between then and now with the introduction of these camps, with the ability to have more control over the super franchises. I mean, I had some um, experiences with our team where guys were not available and then they came to camp and they'd been run for, you know, 15K the day before and we mm. weren't allowed to train them for two days. Mm. So nothing was in place to make sure or to dominate so that we could be the most successful we could be. And I believe now in talking with the boys, that's a really good improvement by the high-performance program, and I think they're doing a much better job. Isaac, moving forward for you, clearly the end of the Super Rugby season for the Reds. Um, where do you want to play next year? Because you, you lined up wearing the 15 jersey for the, to the junior Wallabies. Yeah, um, I sort of, I'm, I'm more looking sort of 10 to 15, but as I said, wherever the team needs, I'm happy to sort of fill, fill a fill the role of anything sort of obviously being pretty versatile and cover cover a number of positions but um so yes yeah, sort of looking at 10 to 15 as my uh, preferred roles in the team that is a, a good answer mate it's a very very good answer and uh and what's uh, next for you over the next few weeks Are you going back to club yeah i think we uh we so we got to get i think we get two weeks off now um coming back in but then yeah after that two weeks we we finish off the club season i think there's about four four games left in the club season and yeah so we'll play there i play for Sunnybank, so get get a few games in there good stuff um hey mate thanks so much for for joining us i imagine you are a little uh, jet lagged and, and sleep deprived so we really appreciate catching up and once again congratulations it was an incredible campaign and i'm not sure whether you're aware of it or not but it certainly captured the imagination here, um, a lot of people watching it on, on Fox Sports, a lot of people were following the progress. So well done, mate. No worries. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Great job, mate. Yeah, Isaac Lucas there. And um, just that point about giving players uh, time to mature, I guess for, for some guys that works more than others. And as you said, particularly up front. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at somebody like Harry Johnson Holmes. He's one of the fastest I've seen in terms of evolving from a, from an under twenties program into a Super Rugby player. So how many years is that? So he was two thousand seventeen. Right. Um, so two thousand eighteen was his, obviously his first Super year, and and um, you know at the Waratahs, we moved. I'd moved Paddy Ryan from Lucy to Tidehead because we had a, a small uh, depth issue on that side, so it opened up a wee door for him. Um, you know, people think he played a lot of rugby in two thousand eighteen, but really Harry came off our bench you know, 10, 15-minute touches, just like Isaac said happened at the Reds for him. So Harry got the ability to get to end games, to become a finisher, 10, 15 minutes. This year was his first year starting, so he came in and obviously with um, Robbo having an ACL up until round 12, all of a sudden you got Harry Johnson-Holmes out there at the age of 21, 22, starting loose head for the Waratahs. And if you know, people may not notice it, but his, uh, his he's been tracking in terms of his evolution. There's, there's things he's experienced on a super rugby field he's never experienced before. Mm. You know, we came up against the Sunwolves and that tight head hit him and chased him and, and compressed him and Harry had never felt that before. So it's a, the ability for Harry to develop on, on the run. So, you know, even I'm radioing down to him and talking to him. But now if you look at Harry, I think he is one of the standout loose heads and he's really going to start to push um, the guys in front of him, like Robbo and C, uh, you know CO and Slipper, I think he's powerful. And so he's found himself in Wallaby camp this week. Yeah, I think he's in Wallaby camp this week as a, as a young buck, and I'd say there'll be a lot around him experiencing what they do in Wallaby camp. Um, you know, and and for me, he deserves to be there. Mm. Yeah, he's had an outstanding year, and he's not the only one who's fresh to the camp because. Uh, clearly Friday night, uh, the announcement that Sean Byrne, the, the new Wallabies attack coach, so at long last the, the coaching team has been sewn up in, what, only 90 days before the World Cup, but, but we're there. 
Yeah, so I mean that'll be. I mean, it's important to get him in there, get him started. Uh, you know, I've met Sean a number of times. He's a lovely bloke. Um, so, you know, I think he, he will add to that environment. And, you know, the key thing for him is to hit the ground running, really. And how uh, proactive can you be in terms of plans this far out? Or is that basically he, he'll be preaching from, from Czech's songbook? He'll, he'll be delivering the plans that Czech wants to play. Yeah, I'm unsure around the, the coaching dynamic of how do we set up. I mean, obviously, head coach is key. He, he's the guy that sets up, you know, as an, as an attack coach, you can start to work on key areas, but yeah, your head coach runs the show, and, and, and as an assistant, you can kind of change about 30% of that. So I reckon Sean will come with a few of his own ideas, um, and I just, you know, I'd say Czech would be pretty open to those, I'd assume. The key thing is for them to lock that down over the next week or two and then start to implement it as fast as possible. Mm. And, yeah, well, the, and the last piece of, of news, I suppose, this week, doing the rounds, James O'Connor potentially back in Australian rugby if he was to do so and, and be a, a Wallabies bolter, it would follow the the same train as uh, Nick White, who's back and hasn't yet um, worked out his Super Rugby Club, but um, a potential World Cup bolter. So if anything, it adds to some depth, O'Connor, um, but clearly the last time he played for Australia was back in, what, 2013, so a long time ago. Yeah, the only thing that uh, that I would say about James O'Connor, and, and I know that um, everyone uh, has been at some stage seemingly on his case, um, you speak to anyone who's had t- anything to do with him, whether it be at Toulon or at um, London Irish or more recently at Sale, and almost universally now the, the noise that's coming out about James O'Connor is that he's, he's grown up a bit, he's, he's more mature. Um, so, you know... People have the capacity and the potential to, to change. And indeed, that may exactly be what's happened with James O'Connor. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know James at all. So, you know, I've had no involvement with him. But um, I, if he's grown up, that's extremely important. And I, I think that comes from role modelling. So maybe while he's been overseas, he's had a lot of role models that potentially have steered him in the right direction. And I hope so for Australian rugby because, you know, culturally, that squad, it's going to be important that they're all on the same page and they play for each other for them to be successful. So um, if he is involved, then, you know, I think Czech has to give him no option bar to be that way. I, s- I spoke to Drew Mitchell today on that and he said that when he rocked up at Toulon, probably for the first time in his career, he rocked up, thought, geez, there's some pretty big names around here mm. and he wasn't necessarily the big name around the block and I think that helped with the maturity from what he's from what yeah. Drew said anyway. Well, well and, and Drew has, has also said and I don't think I'm giving away any secrets here that um, that James actually surprised him a little bit and, and you know because yep. he he was expecting one James O'Connor and he got another James O'Connor so that uh, that might be indeed in itself good news gentlemen thanks very much Cronny um, I don't think we're going to uh, have you in the near future back on the podcast so go well with your next endeavour and we really do appreciate the time that you've given us uh, over the stretch thank you very much it's been a pleasure and uh, I hope I haven't bored you not at all <laughs> it's always very interesting Christy thanks very much mate and uh, thank you for your company on the Fox Rugby po- podcast um, don't forget to to rate us on iTunes Give us a what is it? A, out of, is it stars? Is it out five, of ten? Five star. Five would be stars. Good, give it? us nine or ten out of ten. Be nice. However it works, just like Uber, make it good. Talk to you soon. <laughs>